Well, I have been on a speaking sabbatical, which means this is I've only preached once this month and we have another guest speaker today. And it's been really good for me to work on the overall vision of the church and um, ready for August, which August is a season of growth. So get ready. Um, If you think today's somewhat full, I I anticipate August to to be record breaking. And so it's been a blessing to be able to do this. To, to do this, to, to take this little break, uh, but starting next week, you're stuck with me again for quite a while, and I'm looking forward to, I'm, I'm recharged and, and ready to, to preach God's word to you, but today I have a very special friend of mine, Pastor Randy Carter, and his wife Nancy is here with him. Uh, they've pastored the last 23 years, Northside Assembly of God in Jackson, Tennessee, I've been pursuing my doctorate through Union University, so I've spent a lot of time in Jackson. And the first, the first night I stayed there, I got a hotel and I went to met these guys for dinner, and they insisted that I stay at their house from that time forward. So I've spent many, many nights in their home over the last three years, which means we've been able to talk about the Lord, talk about ministry. Even though I've known them for many years, uh, my relationship with them has deepened. And I'm just going to tell you, they took care of me uh, when I was not at home. And not just physically, but they took care of me spiritually. And so um, they, they deserve to be honored because it was such a comfort to know I had a man, a man and a woman of God who were watching over my life and ministry um, when I was uh, pursuing that part of my ministry and education. So um, all over Jackson, Tennessee, everywhere I go with Randy, people know him. And one of the reasons why it's not just his longevity, but he has um, devotionals that are on the secular radio stations and on the TV stations that uh, he's the vo- kind of one of the voices and main voice of Jackson, Tennessee. And so it's always a privilege to, to be around town with him and people just love him because he has a huge pastor's heart. And I'm just so glad, listen, I'm not gonna have anyone come speak to you guys that I don't like listening to, all right? So those days are over. I don't have people here just as a favor to you. I have people here that have spoken into my life and uh, he's gonna, you're, you're gonna be blessed today. Would you guys please welcome my good friend, Pastor Randy Carter. Thank you. Thank you so much. Don't you just love that guy? Tell you what, he's like a little teddy bear. Or a big teddy bear. He's just like a teddy bear. So, uh, wow. Hey, we are on, this is the final Sunday of an eight-week sabbatical for us. And uh, only we've been all over the world, literally. We took uh, the month of June and went to um, Taipei, Taiwan, and filled in at an international church there. And um, I want to tell you, after three or four weeks of eating Taiwanese food, we were ready to go to McDonald's. And uh, we, thankfully, there was a McDonald's right there and a Burger King a block away and a Gucci store. Now, we can't go anywhere where there's not a Gucci store. It's part of my wife's creed. So I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even know what Gucci was. But we walked in, and they could tell right away that I'm not a Gucci type of guy. And so they said, this is our sales table and we could buy a purse for $1,500 on sale. So we bought six of them, and uh, just kidding, just kidding. I'm a preacher, I'm not, uh, anyhow, we had a great time there, and uh, then we've been back home now for, uh, since the end of uh, June, and we've been traveling. We have a daughter in Knoxville, and we just found out Friday night 
that uh, we knew she was pregnant, and we're very excited about that, our first grandchild. And uh, we found out we had the big reveal party. Now, back when our girls were born, the reveal party was the day they were born. But now, you know, it's a big deal. And we had a box, and pink balloons came out. And I discerned that it must be a girl. And uh, so we're so excited about that. But someone over here thought that uh, we were Aaron's parents today. So thanks a lot for that. And, uh, but we very well, I could be, I married a child, but I could be Aaron's dad. But anyhow, we're just glad to be here. And uh, I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever been stuck? I remember one time as a kid, I was coming home from school. We were living in Detroit at the time. My parents were from Tennessee. They'd moved to the north when they got married, like all Southerners did back then. And uh, I decided to cut across a field, and forgetting that it had been raining for three days, and got stuck. And uh, ever been in mud that just sucks your leg up, you know, just kind of sucks you up? And finally, I got free, but my shoe is still there. I'd, I've never been able to find that shoe. It's one thing to get stuck in reality. Another thing to get stuck in areas of our life. And I have a feeling that probably in this room this morning, there are a few people that feel stuck. Maybe stuck in a marriage that uh, hasn't gone anywhere for a while and is not fulfilling. Maybe stuck in a career. Maybe stuck in a re another relationship in life. I want to talk to you today about how to get unstuck. Because I can promise you that the Lord doesn't want you to be stuck. That song that we sang today, Break Every Chain, God wants, chains hold us back. And God's called us to, to walk in freedom and to break those chains in our life. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1. That's in the Old Testament. Go to Genesis, go right, a couple, couple books over. And uh, we'll look at Deuteronomy, a story of the children of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough. Everybody say long enough. Look at your neighbor and say, You've stayed long enough. Now that didn't mean get up and leave right now, but, but you have stayed long enough at this mountain. The interesting thing is, as Moses is speaking here, and he's talking to the children of Israel, and the Lord said this to them 40 years earlier. 40 years earlier, and they've been stuck now for 40 years. And, I, and as I said, God doesn't want us stuck. Here's the word that I believe God has for each and every one of us today. Look at Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 says, This is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty rivers, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. So the Lord, I'm about to read a verse that is very familiar. If you've been in church very long, you'll be able to quote this verse when I read it. But it's the context of the verse. The Lord's just reminding them of the good things that he's done in their life, of how he brought them out of slavery. They were stuck in slavery, and he supernaturally opened a way. He's talking about the Red Sea here. And then he says this, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, sometimes when we think about getting unstuck, we think about getting unstuck from the bad things of life, seasons that are painful, seasons that are unpleasant. 
but some of you are stuck, not in painful seasons, but in seasons of joy. Things that, that you've got, the Lord did something marvelous in your life, and it was one of those life-defining moments, but you've never moved forward from there. And that's all you talk about. If there's a testimony time, anybody remember when churches used to have testimonies? I, you know, I, we don't do that anymore because I, 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 frankly, I hated that time because the pastor would stand up and say, anybody want to praise the Lord today? And nobody would get up. Nobody, I mean, they'd just stand there. Nobody wanted to be the first one. And finally, one little old lady would stand up and say, well, never let it be said that there was an opportunity to praise the Lord go by without me praising the Lord. And, then, and I'm going, you've been sitting there 10 minutes, you know, and now, how many understand what I'm saying? All right? But some people, when they get up, they'll testify about what God did. Now, I remember years ago at church camp, I was 12 and God did this. The Bible says whether you're stuck in the bad or you're stuck in the good, it, you're still stuck. And God wants you to move forward. He wants us, if it's stuck in a victory, he wants you to go to the next victory. If you think yesterday was good, tomorrow's gooder. God has something better for you. So he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the path. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the streams and in the wasteland. The God's word to our hearts today is this. It's time to get unstuck and to move forward into the new thing that God has for us. But how do we do that? One of the things that I learned a long time ago, and I think I heard Rick Warren say it the first time, but a lot of times when I'm listening to somebody preach, I'll hear them preaching, and they're, you know, they're talking about where we ought to be, but they're not telling us how to get there. And so I'll write in my Bible, YBH, yes, but how? We know we need to get unstuck. We know that God has better things ahead for us, but how? How do we get from where we are? How do those chains get broken in our lives, and how do we move forward? Well, the first thing is to recognize why you're stuck. Recognize why you're stuck. And I want to give you four or five reasons out of this story in Deuteronomy chapter 1 on why we're stuck. Number one is because we love routines. We love our routines. Deuteronomy 1.7 says, break camp and advance in the hill country. He says break camp to them. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot to us, but, but for them, they had been in camp for a long time. And even though they were living in tents and kind of had a nomadic spirit about them, they, it was a, still a somewhat comfortable life. Bernie Sanders would have loved it. Nobody had to work. I mean, they, they, they had, they, Jesus, I mean, the Lord provided mail and, and, and uh, mail, mail and manna, uh, manna, <laughs> mail and snana. That, that's a combination of, help me, one of my, quail, quail and manna. Hey, you think this is easy? You come up here. And I've been on sabbatical eight weeks. I better get it right before I go back home next week. Now I can. <laughs> snail. snail. He gave them snails in the morning and whales at night. All right, we're changing. This is the paraphrase. He gave them food every day. And water, too. And, and the ladies, they didn't even have to sew. They hadn't sewed on a button in 40 years. Their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. And so they had begin, become comfortable. They had become comfortable. And, and it's just something about comfort, something about our routine that keeps us 
stuck. And, and I believe that the Lord may be saying to some of you today, it's time for you to break camp. It, it's time for you to do something different than what you've been doing. You know, it's, a, it's a, one of the leadership cliches that you hear today is you'll, you, can't move to, uh, you can't get to where you want to be if you keep doing the same things you've ever do, always done. And so what is it that God's asking you to do that comfort is keeping you from doing? In his book, He Still Moves Stones, Max Lucado says, Jesus says the options are clear. On one side, there's the voice of safety. You can build a fire in the hearth, stay inside and stay warm and dry and safe. You can't get hurt if you never get out, right? You can't be criticized for what you don't try, right? You can't fall if you don't take a stand, right? You can't lose your balance if you never climb, right? So don't try it. Take the safe route. Or you can hear the voice of adventure, God's adventure. And instead of building a fire in your hearth, you can build a fire in your heart. You can follow God's impulses, adopt the child, move overseas, teach the class, change careers, get involved in the special needs class. Can I get an amen on that? Do y'all say amen here? I don't know. All right. Get involved in the special needs class. Make a difference. Sure, it isn't safe, but what is? You think staying inside out of the cold is safe? Jesus disagrees. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. I like the words of General Douglas MacArthur when he was 78. He said, nobody grows old by merely living a number of years. People grow old by, desert, by deserting their ideals. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up interest wrinkles the soul. I wonder how many in this room are staying in jobs that you absolutely hate, but you're comfortable. Are staying in relationships that are damaging, they're toxic to your life, but at least they're familiar. You've, you stayed in, or the worst thing of all is that many of us are absolutely doing, absolutely doing nothing because nothing is safer than trying something new. The first reason people get stuck is because of comfort. Number two is that we refuse to risk obedience. We refuse to risk obedience. Look at what verse 26 says. But if you were unwilling to go up, you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Do you know when God speaks to you, there's only one option, and the option is yes. Well, there's two options. It's either obedience or disobedience. You either say yes or no. You can't negotiate. Anybody ever try to negotiate with the Lord? You want me to do that, Lord? Here's what I'm willing to do. No, God doesn't work that way. He's God. And he says, this is the best plan that there is ever possible for your life. And I want to challenge you to take this step of obedience. And obedience often feels like risk. There may be people sitting here, and I didn't say this in the first service, but, but I'm, hey, I'm leaving in a few minutes, so it doesn't matter what I say, say now. But there may be people sitting here who, when the offering plates or buckets were passed, that, you know, the Lord's been dealing with you about starting to tithe. And, and, and I can understand, if you've never tithed in your life, then that, that's a risk. I thank God that my parents, I grew up most of my life in Manchester, Tennessee, and my parents taught me the first time I got a, first time we got a dime, we put a penny in the offering. We just always have done that. But if you've never done it, it's, it's, it can be challenging. It doesn't make sense if you're struggling to give away. But that's God's plan. That's God's act of obedience. 
and Pastor uh, Aaron asked me to talk about this. No, he did not. He did, he did not ask me to talk about it at all. I promise you he didn't say that. But, but that's an act of obedience. Risk. Why is it that most Americans shun risk and we seek comfort? You know, this is evidenced by the fact that the number one selling chair in America is lazy boy, not risky boy. We worship comfort and security. We've even developed a language of comfort. We say, I want to go home and veg out. So we sit in our lazy boys, watching TV, vegging out. Even in the church, we become couch potatoes or pew potatoes. And there we sit in our lazy boys. You know, but, but what God is looking for today is somebody that will say, you know, hey, I may be small potatoes, but I'm all for you, God. I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it is you're calling me to do. What is it, that step of obedience? You say, well, it's just a tiny little thing. Surely it wouldn't keep me stuck. Look, obedience doesn't come in sizes, or disobedience doesn't come in sizes. I mean, we, 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 how many of you were ever taught that lies come in sizes? There was a little lie, there was a white lie, there was a black lie. No, a lie's a lie, right? No, maybe, I don't know about the ethics of this congregation, but, but anyhow, a lie's a lie. And disobedience is disobedience. And sometimes, sometimes there are people sitting in this room this morning that's one step of obedience away from a breakthrough in your life. But you're not going to get the breakthrough until you take the risk, the step of obedience that God's calling you to. The third thing is, is that we get involved in grumbling. Now, I know this never applies here, but that first service, there were some grumblers in there. Deuteronomy 1.27 says this, you grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us, so he brought us up out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Mark Twain, the great theologian, said, Don't complain and talk about your problems, because 80% of the people don't care, and the other 20% think you deserve them. <laughs> Grumbling is the fruit of an ungrateful heart. And for anybody in America to grumble is an absolute crime. I know we're a messed up nation, but you go with me to other parts of the world. I've, preached, I've had the joy of preaching on five continents now. And every time I get home, I want to kiss the ground and salute the flag and go to McDonald's and get a Diet Coke. There are things here that we have that nobody else... I mean, it's still the greatest nation. And when we complain... This spring, sometimes we have what seems like rights to complain. This spring, I, uh, I just went through an unusual time. I, I found out that I was full of gall and needed my gallbladder out. And, uh, and while, my, while they were getting ready to do my gallbladder, I found out I had to have my meniscus repaired in my left knee. And in between the gallbladder surgery and four weeks later, the meniscus surgery, I had a case of shingles and my lips and uh, found out Nancy had gone to California during that time and I guess I just missed her. I don't know. The you heard of the case of the lonely lips. Those were mine. And, uh, but anyhow, the shingles turned into trigeminal neuralgia. Anybody ever heard of TN? It's, a, it's bad. I mean, I made the mistake. Don't ever, if you have anything, don't look it up on the internet. 
if you look it up on the internet, you're going to die. I mean, you can have a hangnail, and the hangnail turned into gangrene. You went up your you know, arm right to your heart, and you're dead. And I had this, and, it, and, and I found out the nickname, doctors call trigeminal neuralgia the suicide disease because so many people do that. And, and it's progressive and all that. And I just finally said to the Lord, Lord, are you kidding me? And the Lord spoke to me and said, you know what? You'll never complain your way to a healing. You'll never complain your way to a healing. And so I had a choice. I could gripe or I could thank God for his provision in my life. I could thank God for a Christian surgeon that took my gallbladder out. I could thank God for a Christian surgeon that took out or didn't take out my knee, fixed my meniscus. I had both surgeries on Thursday. I was back in church on both of them on, on Sundays. Boy, after my knee surgery, I, I just sat on a stool up there. If I'd had this round table and a cup of Starbucks and skinny jeans, I'd have been relevant. I'd have been cool. You know what I'm saying? There's a reason that Pastor Aaron and Pastor Randy don't wear skinny jeans. That's all I'm going to say about that. Jessica looked good in skinny jeans. But told our youth pastor, if you can find a pair of skinny jeans that fit me, I'll wear them. He hadn't found them yet. So, but I could gripe and complain or I could say, you know what? I, the Lord's healed me. And you know what? While we were in Taiwan, the, the Lord, we just kept praising the Lord. And, and that pain in my jaw, it, it's gone. Some people say, well, it'll come back. Well, you say what you want to say. I'm pain free and I'm going to rejoice and thank God for that. You can grumble or you can complain, but you'll never complain your way out of the mess that you're stuck in. The fourth thing is that we let our hearts, oh, number four, we, let, we listen to the wrong people. We listen to the wrong people. Deuteronomy 1.28, where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart, they say. The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. You remember the story back 40 years earlier? Moses had sent in 12 spies into the promised land. How many came back with a negative report? You're not sure. Ten of them, all right. How many came back with a positive report? That's just subtraction, okay. Two of them. Two of them came back. And the ten persuaded the rest of the nation that they couldn't do it. And what happened? They died in the wilderness. Only two of them got to go in. Why? Because they listened to the wrong people. When I found out I was going to have gallbladder surgery, I, I came and I told our worship pastor, I said, hey, Chris, I just want you to know in a couple weeks going to have gallbladder surgery. And he goes, wow. He said, you know, Russ, Russ Steiner from the church had that, and he was in intensive care five weeks, and, and, uh, and he just went on and on and on. And, uh, and he said, then the next one at regional, they died. And, and, uh, I'm going, and, then, and then the next morning, this is the truth, next morning I'm in the, in the parking lot of the church real early, about 6 o'clock, and Russ Steiner pulls through the parking lot. And uh, he's never done that in his life. And uh, he barely comes on Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He's a great guy. But, but he comes through. He goes, hey, Russ, I'm having gallbladder. Oh, pastor. And he just started in. And then I'm talking to my niece. She's a nurse practitioner in Manchester. And she goes, Uncle Randall, don't worry about it. It's okay. Said, I had it on a Thursday. I was back to work on Monday. And then she stopped and she said, but you know, the guy they operated on after me died. And <laughs> how many know that there's no matter, my, my mother, I, the pastor that, 
married my mom and dad and dedicated all of us kids, my mother, I can remember one of the earliest memories is mama going to the hospital and her saying to my dad on the way out the door, don't call the pastor, don't call the pastor. And I remember saying, Daddy, why doesn't she want him to call? Why doesn't she want you to call Pastor Hardy? He said, because no matter what you have, he knows somebody that died with the same thing. <laughs> you listen to the wrong people, you're not going to get unstuck. How many know there are two types of people? There are VIPs and VDPs. VDPs are the people that when you see them at Walmart before they see you, you skip into the other aisle. Don't act like you've never done that. Y'all aren't that holy. You know exactly what, I've, what I'm talking about, don't you? You ask them, how are you? And they'll give you an organ recital. My kidneys hurt, my gallbladder hurt, my liver, my gizzard, all, all the other chicken parts in me hurt, you know? And then they're the very inspiring people that no matter what they're going through, they're singing, this is the day that the Lord has made. Those are the kind of people that you want to be around. Those are the kind of people that can drag you out of the muck and the mire that you may be stuck in. You've got to watch your association. And then, and then the last reason we stay stuck is we let our hearts become hardened. We let our hearts become hardened. Deuteronomy 1.29 says, or 1.32 says, but nothing I said did any good. They refused to believe the Lord our God who had led them all the way and had selected the best places for them to camp, and had guided them by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day. It says they refused to believe. Their hearts had become hardened. Now, life has a way of hardening our hearts if we don't proactively fight against it. Last Sunday, we had an incredible privilege. We were uh, pre preached at Dayspring Church in Bowling Green, Ohio. It's a church that my wife and I, when we were first married, started 33 years ago. July 10th, 33 years ago, we started Dayspring, and it's a church that's last Sunday, 7-800 there. It's just an incredible, great church. And uh, we got to go back, and, and we're thinking about making a career of going ahead and retiring at Jackson and just going back to churches, because they love you when you come back. And... Uh, so, but we had this great privilege last week, and I, I was going to, I had a point to this point. What was the point to this point, Nancy? What was the point? Oh, I know. When, thank you. Thank you. I am getting old, aren't I? You know, but, but the point is, when I start, when we started that church, and we had a wonderful beginning, it just took off, and it was exciting, and I'd see pastors who are my age now, I'll be 64 in November, I know I, I, know I don't look like that. Uh, I look 80, but anyhow, the reason I was on radio for so long in Jackson is because I have a face for radio, and, uh, but now I'm on TV, so that blows that, but uh, why are you laughing at me? So, anyhow, well, I saw pastors when I was young, in my, you know, 30, and we're starting at church, and God was doing all these things. Pastors my age would come up and go, it won't last. Enjoy it now. In fact, 23 years ago when we went to Jackson, the night we were voted in, the guy that another pastor came to lead the business part of the, the, that proceedings, and, and we came in, they voted for us, everybody's clapping. And, and he, he said, as we're walking down the aisle, he said, Pastor Randy, enjoy it now. They'll clap for you tonight, but they'll eat you for lunch before this week's over. And I'm just going, that is negative. That's wrong. And I told Nancy, I said, I don't ever want to be like that. 
But now I'm their age and I understand how they got like that. But I've made up my mind, I'm not going to let my heart get hard. I'm not going to let myself turn into a grumbler. I'm going to fight for the faith and fight to believe God and go out believing for greater things than we've ever believed for. You don't want to get stuck. That's why we get stuck. Let me, let me turn it to the positive. And the positive are four steps out of being stuck. Same story, four steps out of being stuck. Number one, remember the promises of God. Remember the promises of God. Deuteronomy 1.8. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord... He doesn't even tell him to go in and fight. He says, go take possession. I've already given it to you. Take possession of the land he swore that he would give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. How many people in this room have promises that God placed in your heart, some as a child? Maybe that was 10 years ago. Maybe that was five years ago. Maybe that was 50 years ago. But there are things you can, you can go back to the place and remember when God spoke to you and, and how sure that word was in your heart. But over the course of time, it hasn't happened. And so you've just kind of let doubts and fears and the passing of time rob you of those dreams that God placed in your heart. I'm here to say today that God wants to stir those dreams up that God wants you to, to never let go of those dreams and to remember those promises. Last week when, when we were preaching there at Dayspring, I, I prayed, actually prayed a long time Saturday night, please, Lord, help me not to preach too long tomorrow because I knew when I got up there and I'd look out over the congregation that I'd see so many people and I'd remember stories and I'd go off on all these bunny trails. And so I said, Lord, please help me. But God didn't answer that prayer. I went a really long time. And... But, I mean, it was, it was fun to reminisce. And I remember uh, we started that 1983, in July 10th of 1983. But in August of 1981, I was driving from Manchester to, Detro to Detroit. My grandparents wanted to go see some friends. And my wife traveled with a singing group that was just going to happen to be in Detroit. And we, weren't, we were just in our early days of dating at that point. And so I prayed about it and felt led to take my grandparents to Detroit. It was an easy prayer. And, uh, and as we're passing Bowling Green, Ohio, which is right on I-75, there's nothing. If you look out east of the interstate, nothing but one gas station and flat fields. You look to the left, look to the east or the west, and there's this big university, Bowling Green State University. And there's a football stadium there. And God always speaks through football. And so he, he grabbed my, he used that stadium to grab my attention and, and, he, and he just put a question in my heart. And the question was, is there an Assembly of God church there? And, and it was one of those questions that was just beyond a normal question. It was something that, here, here's something you need to know. When God asks you a question, it's not because he needs to know anything. It's because you need to know something. And it was that question that started a work in my heart. And so when I got back to Tennessee and was able to look, do a little research, I found out there wasn't an assembly God, and God started birthing Dayspring Assembly in my heart two years later. It was two years later. There were times when it seemed like it would never happen, but we held on to that promise 
that God used a football stadium to get my attention, driving my grand. It was, there are times you've got to hold on to the promise. What has God promised you? Stir that promise up. Remember that promise. There are things that 23 years ago when we moved to Jackson, Tennessee, that, that God promised to us. And 23 years later, we've seen a lot of wonderful things. But some of those things we haven't seen yet. And I realize that I don't have a whole lot of time. I'm probably not going to pastor. Someone asked me last week, said, how often do you take a sabbatical? I said, every 23 years. You know, and so I, this is, I probably won't get another one. I'm not going to be there another 23 years. But I still believe, one of the things God put in my heart is that we'll give a million dollars one year in one year to missions. Now, we've never come close to that. We'll give a couple hundred thousand, one year 250,000. But I believe with all of my heart, God's got that. And sometimes you've got to let the promise spur you out of that muck and mire that you're stuck in. Am I making sense to anybody? The first thing, remember the promise. And secondly, remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness, Deuteronomy 1.29. Then I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. Then you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. David said, and I can so understand what he said now, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed out begging for bread. There are times you've got to not only stir up the promises, but you've just got to remember the faithfulness of God. Remember the faithfulness of God. I remember when we started, when we started that church, we started, we, we had about 20 people from a mother church, and they gave us $500, and that's what we started on. And uh, out of the 20, we tried to send three of them back. They wouldn't take them. So we had 17 good ones and $500. And, 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 and when the Lord, I remember when the Lord spoke to us about the land that we were going to buy. We didn't have any money, but we had, we had God. And we prayed and we just kept giving. The very first Sunday as a church, the very first Sunday as a church, we took our first missions offering and gave $800 to a guy going to Hong Kong with Youth with a Mission. And because of that, God blessed that church. And we saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And the same thing's true in Jackson. And when I think of the things that God's placed in my heart, do I get discouraged? Do I get a little frustrated that they haven't happened yet? Sometimes I do. I'm not as perfect as Pastor Eric. Once in a while I get frustrated. But when I get frustrated, I remind myself of the promises. I remind myself of the faithfulness of God. And it causes me to have hope for the future. And then the third thing is, the third thing is, monitor your words. Monitor your words. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 34 says, when the Lord... Uh, when the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I gave to your forefathers. It says, when I heard what you said in, in, in Numbers chapter 14, Numbers chapter 14, verse 28, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. Let me ask you, what are you speaking out today? Your faith or your fears? Last week we heard about the negativity that surrounds our country. And this year, 
supposedly Hillary is going to tell us how great it is. Bunch of baloney from both camps. I'm not talking about just denying reality. I'm talking about speaking forth a greater reality, a reality that is based on what the Word of God says. I'm not talking about just positive words. I'm not, although thank God for positive words. They're much better than negative words. But I'm talking about speaking out what God's put in your heart, speaking out what God has said. I'm just saying, just say what God has said to you and let your words, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. Some of you say, well, I just don't think things will ever change. Guess what? They never will with an attitude like that. But if you'll believe that God is greater, God is greater. Am I making sense to anybody? All right, and then the last thing is, turn up your passion. Deuteronomy 1.36 says this. No one got into the land except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land that he set his feet on because he followed the Lord, what? Wholeheartedly. Say that with me. Wholeheartedly. Are you following the Lord wholeheartedly? You know, life has a way of just dividing our attention. Life has a way. How many are busier than you've ever been in your life? I mean, it just seems like we have more time-saving devices than ever, and yet we're busier, we're more distracted than ever before. And sometimes the Lord is not, he, he may be number one, but he's number one of a thousand different things. And he just wants to be one. Now, and, and when I say passion, sometimes today in the church, people mark passion by how you worship. And boy, you got great, you have awesome worship here. We've been in, on our sabbatical, we've been in some mega churches out in California. We were in Mark Batterson's church in D.C. a couple of weeks ago. Church last week that we started had great worship. But it is, this is awesome. But worship is just one expression of our passion. And if we can shout and dance, I loved it when Jessica was up here dancing. You know, I loved that. I would do it, but I can't. Because if I, if I jumped, then part of me still jumps three minutes later, you know. And I, I just can't handle that. And uh, you know what I mean, Pastor Aaron. And I just... But I'm not talking about passion isn't determined inside these walls. Your passion is demonstrated tomorrow morning when you go to work. Your passion is demonstrated in how you pursue the dreams Monday through Friday that God's placed in your heart and in your life. And it's time to get unstuck and to move forward and to serve Him wholeheartedly. Amen? Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray, God, that You'll use the Word to challenge us to become all that You've called us to be, Lord. Father, there are people this morning that have chains that have held us back. Break those chains. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.